Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome this morning to Centerpoint Bible Church. My name's Lowell, and uh, I get the privilege of opening up God's Word with you in just a moment here. James, can you grab that table for me, buddy, or Steve? That'll work. Thanks. Well, I, uh, I trust that you are praying for the leadership of our church. Uh, just to remind you of the Spring Mills community, I want to put this slide up on the screen and uh, remind you of how God has led our church over the last decade or a little bit more. And um, if you're praying, I really appreciate it. If you're not, I ask you to do that. Um, let me tell you, the, there's a lot of wheels spinning right now towards us being back in that area, Lord willing, before the end of this calendar year. And I'm, I'm telling you, you really need to be praying because um, everything is going smoothly. Everything is moving forward. We are in about day 30 of a 120-day feasibility period, and things just seem to be going great. But we're asking you to continue to pray. Pray that God would show us what his plan is and what his will is, and that we would clearly see it. One of the things that we are learning here at, at Centerpoint Bible Church is that God takes care of us, right? When, when we first started, we, we didn't think there was any way that that school would open up the doors to us, but they did. And we ministered there for 10 years. And all of a sudden, the door shut in our face, and it was like, what's going on, Lord? What's happening? And God opened up this door for us, and we are very grateful to Faith Christian Academy and the leadership here that have opened up their doors to us. But I think that we can all recognize that the movement out of that Spring Mills community has affected us. I feel it. I feel it. I long for the Lord to bring us back there. And I'm asking you to pray with us that God would continue to lead in that way. He has and we're excited for the potential of what God might do. And what I kind of feel like is, it's like the Lord has now placed us back here and allowed us to build up this potential energy, okay? So when we are unleashed back in the Spring Mills community, we'll be like a balloon popping, all right? So this Wednesday, as a matter of fact, there's a part of that. This Wednesday evening, we'll have training for, for those that are going to be part of Awana this next year, Lord willing. And so Wednesday night, we have training for that. I encourage you, if you have communicated with Pastor Justin and your plan on being part of that, or even if you haven't, see him and, and seek on information. That's a great ministry for us to be a part of and will allow us to fulfill our mission of what? Of pointing others to Jesus Christ and his word with a desire to grow intimacy with God, community with others, and influence in our world. In a moment, I'm going to pray, but, but I just want to mention this. Today happens to be not only Adam's birthday, but also the 57th wedding anniversary of Bill and Gaynor Hearn. 57 years. That is pretty awesome. Marriage is one of God's pictures. God, <laughs> well done, Gaynor. Yeah. Marriage is, marriage is one of God's pictures that he gives us to illustrate, to illustrate great truths about our relationship with him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. We have prayed great words, Lord. We have sung great words as a prayer already this morning. We've worshiped your spirit. We've spoke of your glory. Lord, we've praised you. We've, we've asked you to come and meet with us. So now, Lord, we're going to use one of your primary tools to do that, your word. I pray, Lord, that it would be effective Lord, that it would fulfill its work in our lives, that you would speak to our hearts through your word. God, we need you. We thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, the morning was perfect. It was one of those perfect mornings for a hiker. My wife and family, and my wife and children, that is, had, had traveled to Glacier National Park up in northern Montana. And we went for this hike, and, and it was beautiful. The scenery was just amazing. And so I did what a lot of you have, have done on many occasions. I, I got my camera, and I made sure the best that I know, the, the lighting was right, and the, the scenery was perfect, and the settings was, were all set to go. And, and I, I snapped this picture. Oh, that's right. Sorry, children. Head out to Children's Church. I was supposed to say that. I mistake. I make those once in a while. I snapped this picture, and when I looked at it on my small screen and now on the larger screen, honestly, I was just so disappointed. Have you ever had that experience where you, you, just, you picture in your mind a picture of what you're seeing, and you try to snap it with a camera, and it just doesn't quite work? You know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. In reality, that view on that mountain In Glacier National Park, a thousand words wouldn't do. And listen, that's the way it is with our God. Today we're going to look at a picture that God gives us to try to illustrate our relationship with Him. And we could try to use a thousand words, but it would not suffice. And the picture that God is going to use, now hear this, the picture that God is going to use is that of a father, of a father. Now, I don't know what your relationship is like with your father, but I want to, I want to adjust your thinking a little bit today to understand that God, the heavenly father, it's not that he's like your dad. That's not it. It's not that he's a picture of a perfect father. See, that's how we tend to look at this idea that God is our heavenly father. We think about our father, whether he's in our life or not, and we think, well, God is like a perfect father. No. God is not like a father. God is your father if you're in Christ. He is your father. It may be that God has blessed you in such a way that you have a dad that once in a while is like a picture of what your heavenly father is like. But it's just a glimpse. It's just a glimpse. And the best dad in all the world, whoever he might be, that storybook father we might read about, listen, he pales in comparison to our heavenly father is. So let's be careful today as we talk about God as being our heavenly father to not think of him as someone who's like our dad. No, he is your heavenly father. And occasionally you can see glimpses of him, particularly in your relationship with your dad. It's a very important difference. Back to my picture. Don't think that you've been to Glacier because you saw that picture. Don't think when you look at that, you're like, hey, I've been there. No, no, no. You just saw a picture. And a thousand words will never suffice. We will look at our Heavenly Father 
today. In Matthew chapter 7, go ahead and turn your with me. Um, Matthew chapter 7, we are in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and um, Jesus here is going to speak about his heavenly Father, and if you're in Christ, he is your heavenly Father. And these words are, are very important for us to understand today. They are used often to honestly bring false teaching in, in, into people's lives. And we need to be careful that we understand clearly what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. You can remember that, 7, 11. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. If you have your Bible, follow along. If not, just listen. Jesus is very clear. He says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Now, here's the, here's the main point of what I want us to walk away with today. I'll put it on the screen, and you, I think you might have this on your worship notes. And, and here's what it is. As a follower of Jesus Christ, as a follower of Him, the Father has promised to meet your every desire. Now that's pretty significant right there. He has promised to meet your every desire. Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. But I didn't put a period there because in our world today, in our, in our culture today, in the culture of Christianity, that, that, that the bulk of books that are coming through our bookstores and, and much of the, the radio personalities or the television personalities or the internet personalities are preaching, we have to add to that. We have to bring clarity to this truth. And so I said, the Father has promised to meet your every desire by giving you himself and by giving you his desires. See, this is what our Father does. He blesses you with the greatest gift you can receive, Him. And for the new creatures, for those who have been redeemed in Christ, for those who put their trust in the finished work of Jesus and His Spirit comes in and dwells you, He does more than just that. He changes your desire so that you want him ultimately. And so he is the answer to your desire. It's, it's an amazing work that God does in our lives. I want to say a couple of things about a father from Scripture. Okay, not a father. Let me correct that. The father. Okay, the father. Just a little bit of a study of this, of this concept of father. We know from Ephesians 1 that God is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a relationship that, that we see in Scripture, that the Father of Jesus is God. 
That's not a, that's not a physical relationship. And, and many, many people across this globe struggle to understand this. But all it is is it comes down to relationship between the Son and the Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1 says. And not only is God the Father of Jesus Christ, He calls Himself the Father of Israel, the Father of the nation of Israel. You see that in Jeremiah 31, where Jeremiah here is crying out for pleas of mercy. And, and, and God answers him and says, I am the Father to Israel. But you as a believer, you were not, when you came to Christ at that moment that you looked to Jesus and the finished work of Christ, he didn't just forgive you. Oh, we've packaged it that way. We've packed, wrongly, we've packaged salvation in simply forgiveness. It's more than that. It's more than that. It's relationship with God. And he's now, John chapter 1, verse number 12, given us the right to be called children of God. See, he is your father. There's a special relationship between believers and God. Matthew chapter 23, listen to this. Call no man your father on earth, Jesus says. Now, there's nothing wrong here, by the way, with calling your dad your father. In the context, Jesus is speaking to these pharisaical leaders who are demanding that their followers call them father. Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't call your religious leaders father. Don't do that. Instead, he says, you have one father who is in heaven. And there's a promise. Listen, if you're in Christ, not only are you made a child of God, you are now co-heirs with Jesus Christ. So you've been given this this right of sonship or daughtership, if that works for you, this special relationship that you have with the Father. The Father has promised. He's promised to meet your every desire through Him and through changing your desires. And so again, just as we go into this to understand the passage, I don't want you to think about your dad today. That's not where I want your attention to go. Be thankful if you've got a father that you know. Be thankful. But that's not where our eyes are going. He's just an effort that God has placed in your life to say, see, I can, I'm, I'm kind of like that, but more. He's, at moments, he shows you a glimpse of me. So what is it Jesus says about this father-child relationship. Back to the passage. And, and one thing I want to say here, I want to put this up on the screen. Verse number 11, I want to, I want to put this up on the screen for you because I want you to notice something here. It's, it, this will be my last point, but I want to make sure that I get it in here now so that it's later on, it is make sure that it's covered. Okay. So in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus says this at the very end. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, this is not the only time that Jesus really shared this teaching. It's not the only time. You see, the Gospels, particularly Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call those the synoptic Gospels. That means we're looking them kind of like from different views, looking at the, looking at the teaching in the life of Jesus. And so there's often times that you will find a teaching in Matthew that is, that is repeated or similarly stated in one of the other two of the synoptic Gospels. 
This same teaching comes through in a different time when Jesus was teaching a different group of people. And you can find it in Luke chapter 11. I think I've got it on the screen for you. Look how, look how this is stated in Luke chapter 11. Most of it is, is exactly the same, but you will notice one very small but eternally important difference. Look how Jesus said this in Luke chapter 11. He said, if you then who are evil know how to good give, good, good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give? Now, what did it say in Matthew? It said, good things. And how did Luke record this? How much more will your Father, your heavenly Father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Ah, now that's interesting. You see, in the Matthew chapter 5 passage, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking to 5,000 people. A huge group of people, more than that in reality, but a huge group of people. But in Luke chapter 11, Jesus is pulled away now with his disciples. Ah, do you see where this is headed? God has promised to give you the very best. And that very best is not the little tinket, trinkets of, of this world of houses and cars and, and money and those. No! He has promised to give you the very best, and the very best is himself. And for believers, that's what they desire anyway. All right, so let's look at the Matthew chapter 7 passage and break it down a little bit. All right? So he says here, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. So we need to see here that we as believers, we come to the Father with the dependence of a child. With the dependence of a child. This is how we come to the Father. And you can fill in your blank there and follow along with me and look at this later on as well. But I hope that you study God's Word not just for this 45 minutes, but, but throughout the week. But what do we see here? We see this ask, this seek, this knocking. There is a persistent desire of the child of God from the Father. It's persistent. And not only that, but it's desperate. There's a, there's a, this, is a, this is a desperation. Oh God, I need you. I need you. I need you in my life. And lastly, we see that it's trusting. I mean, look where the passage goes. You know, it says here, which of you, if your son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? The truth is, if you gave a toddler a stone when they're asking for bread, what are they going to do with it? They're going to bite it. That's what they're going to do, Right? I mean, they're going to spit it out, I hope, but, but they're, a child is so, is so trusting. And so you get, if the child comes and says, please, can I have bread? And you hand it a snake. They're going to take it in their hands as if you're giving it their very food. This is picturing our relationship with the Father. We come needy. We come persistent. We come trusting. But what do we come needy and persistently trusting for? We come for Him. It's very important in our American culture to understand this difference. 
The truth is, if this passage is simply talking about the, the things that you can purchase in this world, most of us don't need God. If this passage is speaking of houses and cars and, and, and things that we just use for our own pleasure, most of us can provide those things without God. You make enough money, you have enough power in your world, you have enough influence where you are, you can meet all those needs on your own, and you know it, and most of us, therefore, never go to God looking for anything. Because you know what? I can take care of it myself. But what if what he's talking about here is not your home? It's not your choice. It's not your car. Listen, there are prosperity preachers this morning, right now, who are telling people, if you just ask God, he'll give you. If you're not rich, if you don't have things, you're not asking God. And they will use this very passage. It's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about those things. He's talking about him. And if you have understood the grace of God, if you have come to the point where you understand your own sinfulness and the separation from God that you and I experience on our own, you know what it is to desperately call out to Him for Him. It doesn't just happen the moment of salvation. Although for many of us who are saved maybe at a later age in life, that's maybe our first remembrance of it. I tell you, I remember the day that I received Jesus. I came down the aisle, and I'm telling you, a, a dozen men couldn't have kept me from coming. It was like my seat was, was pushing me forward. And I had heard about Jesus for 15 or 16 years. I'd been to Sunday school and, and services over and over and over. But at that moment... God cracked my heart. And I came to him not for the things that he might give me, but because I wanted him. And that's not the only experience I've felt. That's, the only time, that's not the only time I've felt that experience, is what I'm trying to say. There are other times in my life, often I trust in our lives, when we know we need him and we come like a child. Asking, seeking. Do you seek God? Through his word? Through worship? Through other people, his body? Knocking, knocking. I've been reading through the book of Revelation. I keep coming back to chapter 3. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock, Jesus says. And those who open the door, I'll come in and I'll have fellowship with them. See, that's this longing. That's this longing. I trust you have it today. And here's the truth. I can't put it in you. That's the amazing thing about God. I can stand up here all day. We could sit here for eight hours and watch somebody up front just pleading. Oh, please desire God. And the truth is, I can't put this in you. But maybe God is today. Today might be the day. When God is speaking to your heart and saying, taste and see that the Lord is good. Like a child, like a child long. I just want to mention this. I, I don't have time to develop it too far, but I do want to say this. 
Our master directs our desires. Our master directs our desires. The thing that you serve will affect your desires. Jesus offers for you to take him as your master. You have a master. Everybody has a master. And Jesus offers to you for him to be your master. Let's go on now to the response of the Father. It's, it's throughout the passage, but, but probably we can look at verse number, verses 9 through the end to understand it most clearly. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you who are evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children. So Jesus now is trying to help us to understand what the Father's like. And so God answers this, this desperate call for him like a father does. So the, the response of God is like the response of a father. Now notice here what evil fathers know. Even evil fathers know a few things. First of all, they know they have the resources. Evil fathers know, I've got what my children need. I, I can provide it. Evil fathers, they have knowledge of what is good to give them. Even evil fathers know that. And even evil fathers are willing. They're willing. So, so, so dads, evil fathers, they have resources, they have knowledge, they have willingness. And what Jesus is saying is, that's the way God the Father is with you, child of God. That's the way it is with him. God has provided the resource for you to have him through the cross. He has knowledge that this is the best for us, him. And he is willing to give. This is who our heavenly father is. Now, I really feel like for each one of these kind of points that Jesus is making, I felt tempted towards a bit of a tangent, and I do want to deal with one here now. I skipped the last one, but I want to deal with this one, okay? Because here's what we're saying. We're saying that, that God the Father sees his children who ask, and he responds. And, and he responds primarily with himself. And so here's a question that begs an answer. If that's the case, if this passage is true, then why don't our requests always get answered? Why? Why is it that our requests are sometimes unprovided for? I mean, do you have things that you are asking God for and there seems to be no answer? What is that about? I thought we'd take a minute and just kind of talk about it a little bit, all right? And I just, I've just searched out God's Word and, and tried to understand what's, what's God waiting on. I mean, some of our requests are very honoring to Him. Are they not? I mean, I'm not, you know, it's, it's, easy to, it's easy to deal with some things. You know, if you're sitting around all day praying that God gives you a whatever, a red Corvette. Nothing wrong with a red Corvette, by the way. But if that's your number one request, oh God, give me a red Corvette. Scripture's going to deal with that. All right, it's going to deal with that. We'll see the answer to that in just a minute. 
What about, though, those that here, maybe in this room, you're asking God to work in a, a loved one's life? You know somebody who needs Christ or, or needs to be drawn closer to Him, and there seems to be no answer. Or there's a way that, that you're experiencing suffering in your life, and, and you're even like, Lord, this suffering is keeping me from You. Lowell said that you want to give us you, and this thing in my life seems to be separating us. Why? All right, let's, let's try to answer that a little bit. First, the first thing I want you to hear is, is from Matthew chapter 5. I mean, we were just there, okay, not too, not too long ago. Look back at Matthew chapter 5, verse number 3. Jesus says here, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what's this tell us? That God uses the lack in our lives sometimes. God may be using the lack in your life in a greater way than he would ever use the provision. Do you understand that? God is able to use lack. You may say, well... If God would just give me this thing, then, 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 oh, how far we would go with him. But God is able to use lack in our lives. You as fathers and mothers, you understand this with your children. You understand. If that child, if, if that child will beg you for more and more Kool-Aid, will they not? Please get some more Kool-Aid, get some more Kool-Aid. There's something about sugar that's just addictive for us. And I trust that hopefully you've realized that, you know, a daily dose of Kool-Aid, all three meals, you know, every drink is probably not a good idea. And so you as parents have said, you know what? I'm going to give you a lack of Kool-Aid because that's better. Now, if you know how to do that, if you have the wisdom to know when lack is better, And if you know how to be good to your children in that way, and if you are willing to keep up with their whininess, or Kool-Aid, please, how much more does our Heavenly Father know how to give us exactly what we need? He's using the lack, folks. He's using the lack. I know some of you are desperate for God to work in some area in your life. I know. He's using that lack to bring you to him in a greater way. Some of us, the love of the Father is choosing to use discipline. God may be limiting his response in your life because you need his correction you need his influence in your life. Listen to 1 John chapter 3, 21 to 22. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So this is a possibility. It could be that God is bringing discipline into your life to draw him to you. Have you ever suffered like physical pain? I remember a time in my life when I had to go through an excruciating 
amount of pain for weeks. And I tell you, I look back on that now, and it was a special time with God. Now, was it discipline for sin? No, I don't believe so. But it was hardness. It was suffering. And God drew me to himself. Listen, I know probably here there are people that are dealing with some major things. And you say, God, why don't you take this away? We'd, I'd be closer to you then. Trust him. Trust him. Guaranteed my toddler came out. If you just give me Kool-Aid, we'd have a closer relationship, right? I mean, they didn't say that. But if you could put words to their thoughts, that's what they think in their immaturity. Trust him. Okay, a couple more things here, and i got to get back to our Matthew 7 passage. Um, you still may be believing that God's plan is not good enough. Maybe you're receiving the no because you're still believing that God's plan is not good enough. Matthew 7, Jesus says, The Father in heaven knows to give good things to those who ask him. Maybe you're still believing that his plan is not good enough. And so God says, I'll wait. Let me tell you something about our God. He is in no hurry. He's in no hurry. Oh, we are. He's in no hurry. He will use the details of our lives to draw us to himself. It might be you just don't ask. It might be that you just don't ask. Listen to James chapter 4, verse number 2. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain. You fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. It might be that you're just not asking. You're just not asking. God, draw me deep to yourself. Do you get up every morning with that prayer on your heart? Is that part of God's new mercy in your life every day? God, I want you. Read the Psalms. That, that was the heart of the psalmist. God, I want you. Like a deer panting for the water, so my soul longs after you. Better is one day in your presence than a thousand elsewhere. See, this is the heart of a true follower of Christ. You might just not be asking. It could be that you're not concerned that his good is good enough. His plan is good enough. It could be that you're so enamored with things of this world that we don't think to ask for him. Careful of that. And lastly, I want to say this, and this is the most serious of all the potential reasons. It could be that God is not your father. Can we just contemplate that for just a moment? It could be that God is not your father. You could come to me and say, Lo, for 18 years, you've given me no bed to sleep in. You provided no meals for me. You haven't. You haven't spent time with me and, and taught me how to fish or, or taught me how to play golf or, or taught me to do this. You haven't done that with me. Why, why did you ignore me? And I would say, listen, I, I hear you. My heart hurts for you. But I'm not your father. That's the call of your dad. 
Jesus was very clear. All human beings, all human beings are either a son of God or a son of the devil. As wicked as that may sound, as evil as that may sound, it's a reality. Listen to John chapter 8. Jesus said to these these religious people, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do the father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of character, for he is a liar and the father of lies, and you are his son. Those are hard words. It could be that your call for God and your call for Him to work in your lives, it might be He's not your Father. Oh, but here's the good news. He came up with the concept of adoption. That was His plan from the beginning. He stands now here before you and says, you want to be in my family? You want to be part of my brood? You want to come join with me? I've provided the way. I've provided the way for that to happen through the work of Jesus. Just stop trusting in yourself and trust in Jesus, and I will make you a child of mine. This is what God offers to us today. Is today the day for you to make that decision? For your very identity to change? Oh, you see, in the past, you've been a child of the devil. Your life reveals it to you and maybe others. You see it. It is evident before you that you are guilty as charged. You are living the life of your father. You are walking in the steps of your dad, the devil. You can see it. And today, God offers you a whole new identity and says, turn to me. Turn from yourself. That's what repent means. Repent, turn to Christ. And he will make you a child of God. We must hit that truth here. Because none of this applies to those who still remain as a father of the devil. Back to Matthew chapter 7. If then you who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, I I, I actually have time to deal with this. Good. There's a very important skill in reading your Bible. A very important skill. And that is when, when you find confusion... You are confused. The Word of God is never confused, but, but you are. And you read this, and, and if we just look at, at Matthew chapter 7, verse number 11, wow, that seems like God is just going to just give us any good thing we can come up with. Sounds like treasure chests filled with gold. Sounds like new automobiles and always green lights and the best parking spots. Oh, how great that would be. And listen, there are people today who who take this very verse, rip it out of its context, and are telling people this. So I want to show you a skill. And it's the skill of allowing God's Word to to further explain itself. 
And I think I've got a slide here up on the screen. Would you help me out there, Jonathan, and, and get a slide for me? Another one, please. Um, there it is. Okay. Now, here's what we have. And now, follow along with me, okay? We have a, what, what you would call a truism. Here's the truism. It's from Matthew chapter 7. And the truism is this. When the children of God ask, God gives us good. That's the truism. When the children of God ask him, God gives us good. But what Luke 7 does is it now brings us specific truth. See, it kind of fills in the blanks. It's like Matthew chapter 7 is like the outline, okay? Jesus, Jesus gives us the outline. Here's the truism. When the children of God ask, God gives them good. But what happens when you bring in Luke chapter 7 is now we get the details colored in, okay? Different crayons, we get a nice little picture, and all of a sudden we have the full picture of what God is intended to show us. And it's this, that the best thing God could ever give us is himself. That's the best thing that God can ever give you is him. You saw this in Matthew chapter 6. Turn back a page if you need to, okay? Turn back a page in Matthew chapter 6. It's it's right here in front of us, okay? Look at verse number 31, Matthew chapter 6, verses 31, 32. Pastor Brock dealt with this a couple weeks ago in in a phenomenal way. You should listen to that message. You can get it online, centerpointwv.org. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, he says, Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, that word means godless. The godless people seek after those things. See, that's the natural, that's the natural verbiage of sons of the devil. The godless people say, oh, it's all about what we wear. It's all about what we eat. It's all about what we drink. This is the godless. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we shall die. This is the godless. Jesus says, no, no, the godless seek after those things. Your heavenly father knows you need them. He'll take care of that. You seek first his kingdom. Well, how do we ever get in this kingdom? How do you get into his kingdom? There. The Holy Spirit. Seek after him. This is what you've been made for. There's all these promises made, promises kept throughout Scripture related to the Holy Spirit. Promises made, promise kept. For sake of time, I'll just mention, you should look look at John chapter 16. Jesus there says, it is to your advantage to his disciples. This is right before he goes to the cross. He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. Why? It's because when I go, the Spirit of God will come and indwell you. The advantage will come when, when, we, when His Spirit comes and lives in us. This is what we're designed for. Earlier I mentioned sugar. You know, I've learned a lesson about sugar. And this, hey, it's not kick a sugar day, okay? That's, that's not it, but... I just I want to I want to use this as an illustration to help us understand the truth that I think God has for us today. Here's what I've learned about my sugar issue. The more I eat, the more I want. Have you experienced that? You know, you think 
you think, if I just have that piece of apple pie, then, then I'll be satisfied, right? Have you ever experienced it, though? I mean, honestly. Have you ever had a piece of apple pie and you're like, I'm good. I'm good. No more apple pie for me. I had my slice and that'll do me. You know, I'll see you next year for another one. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. I mean, it's wicked. What sugar can be wicked. You know, you you have that little morsel and then you want more and you want more and then day by day by day goes by and now you're addicted and you need your daily shot and whatever it might be. The M&M, the Snicker bar, the apple pie, the pecan spin, okay? It calls to us, doesn't it? If you, being evil, can understand how this thing that we are in can taste and never be satisfied, can eat and never be filled, can drink and never have our thirst quenched, are we going to learn? When are we going to learn? Christian believer, fellow beloved follower of Christ, when are we going to learn that the only thing that satisfies is the infinite, is the eternal, the only wise God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all those who receive Him, the ones ones who are experiencing this special relationship with Him, they're the only ones that are able to taste and see that He is good. So Jesus says, you, being evil, you get this. You who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I do thank You for this truth. Thank You for Your Word that is, that is supernatural, Lord, when You use it. God, in our own power, we could never ever convince someone that you are real, that you are close, that you satisfy. This is is something we could never do, but your Spirit does it all the time. Lord, you do it all the time. You do this work of regeneration over and over in, in individuals' lives, Lord. You bring people to yourself over and over again. Oh, the world is loud. It's loud, and we, we get convinced that it's winning. But God, you keep winning. You keep winning people to yourself. It could be today, Lord, that you're calling one to you as their father. Oh, God, do this work through your spirit. Lord, convict of sin and righteousness and judgment that this supernatural rebirth might happen sitting right here in this seat today. One might be reborn. with a new nature, with a new father, with a new future, with a new taste. 
pray, Lord, we would ask, that we would seek, that we would knock. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.